Hello. Welcome to Science Factual. Prepare yourself for factual download. Sequence commencing. Just watch out for Martian mermaids. <laughs> Thanks for the advice. You may be wondering what that intro song by Verbrilli Sound has to do with this week's topic, and I'll tell you. It's the best song I could find that shares the same title, Descender. That's from the album Many Colored Butterflies. Gotta love experimental 90s music. The rest of that album's pretty good, too, but that's not what we're here to discuss. No, that would be Descender, the comic book series by Jeff Lemire and Dustin Wynn. Although I can't help but think that this is the kind of music they'd be listening to in the Descender universe. Good glorious day to you, listener. I'm Reese Hendrick, host of Science Factual, and I'm stoked for this episode as it is yet another first for the show. We're doing a crossover episode with another awesome podcast called Obsessive Comic Disorder and host Gene DeWeber. We got together to talk about the Descender comic book series before hitting the Underbar Comedy open mic in Vancouver, Washington. Normally, it's at this time that I'd issue out a priority one. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Which, I guess I just did, but really it's somewhat unnecessary for the average person because it's unlikely that you've heard of this series in a mainstream sense, or even that it's next on your read list. But it should be, especially after the dive we're about to take into this awesome story. I'd like to start things off with a relatively top-down overview of the series just to give you some context for the interview coming up in a bit. I think it's necessary to get into some of the backstory and supporting information about the universe setting in Descender because it isn't as well known or explored through multiple works like more mainstream comics such as Batman or Spider-Man. <laughs> Thanks for the advice. Descender takes place in a fictional universe that's been rocked by devastating attacks by the Harvesters, planet-dwarfing robots who ravaged the eight major civilized worlds of the United Galactic Council. The series' main character is Tim-21, a companion droid who wakes from a sleep state ten years after the Harvesters showed up. In the decade following the devastation, societies all over the cosmos are destroying machine life, fearful of a possible link between garden-variety automatons and the gigantic robots that wrecked entire cities and worlds. When Tim-21 wakes up, he discovers that he's not only one of the last robots in existence, but also the most wanted being in the universe. When the UGC discovers a connection between the code that enables the functionality in both the Tim series and Harvesters, the inimitable Captain Telsa, daughter of the UGC's president and survivor of the Harvester attacks, and Dr. Kwan, the disgraced and secretive quote-unquote father of robotics, go off to collect the sole functioning model. Alongside his robot dog Bandit and a maladjusted mining droid named Driller, Tim-21 embarks on a cosmic odyssey that has him facing bounty hunters, ruthless robots, and threats at every turn. <laughs> Now, getting into some backstory behind the Descender universe, I want to talk about the worlds, the Harvesters, and the Descenders themselves. Starting off with the worlds, the UGC, or the United Galactic Council, is made up of nine main planetary systems, which are home to multiple races that cohabitate, if tentatively, within the same section of the galaxy. And I'll apologize from the jump if I'm butchering any of these pronunciations, because it is just a comic book, and to my knowledge, there aren't any phonetics involved with the descriptions. But up first, we have Nyata, which is the hub world, and the former technological and cultural hub of the UGC and former home of the nine embassy cities, which made up of one city-state for each of the core planets and races represented in the UGC. Now a devastated world, what's left of the UGC council still resides there, clinging to power. It's also the home of the Neuratan monarchy that has guided the UGC for centuries. Then we have Phagus, the ghost world or haunted planet, 
Their spectral ghost-like appearance scared early explorers into thinking the planet was haunted. Basically a world full of ghosts and no solid matter. Cities and aliens all made out of gases. The only non-gaseous species are a race of hostile 20-foot-tall giants. That brings us to Mata, an aquatic world, which was once the home to a great empire and a Baroque, almost Renaissance-type world, but long ago was flooded and turned into a fully water world. Shout out Kevin Costner. It doesn't exist! Well, how can you be so sure? Because I've sailed farther than most have dreamed. The descendants of this monarchy now survive on a floating mobile kingdom. The ruins of the old cities still lay below the water. Then we have Samson, home to the original colonists from Old Earth. Samson is a massive city and a military center of the megacosm and home of the largest human cities. Then we have Nosos, the smallest core planet in the megacosm. Not much else to say about that. Then we have Selenos. The unique atmosphere of Selenos makes all sound and vibration impossible, creating a totally silent world where the native race communicates by projecting telepathic hieroglyphs into the air. Then we have Amun, the greatest ally of the Nishians. They are an insect-like race that lives in underground hives. Speaking of the Nishians, then we have Nish or Ganish, depending on how you want to pronounce it, I guess. That's the largest planet and the home of the largest military force. Leaders in the anti-robot, anti-technology movement in the wake of the Harvesters reside there. They're a race ruled by Luddite zealots who preach independence and sovereignty for all worlds, all the while working for more and more control of megacosm space. They're the main funder of the Scrappers, the roving space pirate gangs that hunt robots for credits. Gnish is also home to the Melting Pits, the massive gladiatorial arenas where robots are made to fight to the death. Last but not least, we have Ostrakhan, a desert wasteland devoid of all life. It also contains the ruins of an ancient civilization that has long since gone extinct. Alright, let's get into the Harvesters. Uh, now, the Harvesters mysteriously appeared over each of the nine planets of the United Galactic Council and nearly destroyed the populations before just taking off. Dr. Jing Quan brought forward a theory that their codex could be deciphered and they could be understood ultimately. It was only 10 years later that the Codex was finally deciphered and realized to be a match with the Tim series of robots that Dr. Kwan had allegedly designed. It is unclear as to the Harvester's true history and power range because their origins aren't truly revealed. Speaking of whom, that brings us to the Descenders themselves, who the series is named after. The Descenders are a race, or rather a collective, of hypersentient robots that have been interacting with humankind throughout the ages with the intent on guiding and monitoring our interactions with technology, specifically robotics and the concept of sentience and sovereignty for non-human robotic entities. They are the keepers of the Harvesters and seem to coexist with the planet killers, using them to deliver their calculated judgments. Now, regarding a television adaptation, Sony Pictures acquired the movie rights to Descender in 2015 after a competitive bidding war two months before the publication of the first issue of the series. That same month, it was announced that both Lemire and Nguyen would serve as executive producers, and in June 2020, Lark Productions, a branch of NBC Universal, announced that they had acquired the exclusive television rights to Descender with Lemire and Wen still attached as producers. In 2019, Lemire and Wen announced that they would be reteaming to work on a direct sequel series called Ascender, set 10 years after the conclusion of Descender. The new story features Mila, daughter of two characters from Descender, Andy and Effie, and is set on a world where magic has almost completely replaced machines. The final issue of the series had a standard cover titled Ascender No. 18 and a variant cover titled Descender No. 50. Ascender has so far been collected into four volumes, spanning 18 issues. Since this comic hasn't gotten an animated treatment yet, it's remained relatively obscure when compared to other works by Jeff Lemire and Dustin Nguyen. That means that there aren't a ton of articles teeming with facts behind the work itself, which leaves the dynamic duo of Lemire and Nguyen to look into. Here's some interesting facts behind the prolific comic artists. DCComics.com writes the following about Jeff Lemire. New York Times bestselling author Jeff Lemire is the writer and artist behind the acclaimed graphic novels Sweet Tooth, Essex County, The Underwater Welder, and the popular sci-fi love story Trillium. Jeff is also a prominent writer for DC Comics where he currently writes the monthly adventures of Green Arrow and Justice League United. He has also written the monthly adventures of Animal Man, Superboy, Justice League Dark, Frankenstein, Agent of Shade, 
and The Atom. Lemire has written well over 350 issues for DC alone, not to mention his independent works and works with other publishing houses. In 2009 and in 2013, Jeff won the Schuster Award for Best Canadian Cartoonist. He has also won the Doug Wright Award for Best Emerging Talent, and the American Library Association's prestigious Alex Award, recognizing books for adults with specific teen appeal. He has also been nominated for six Eisner Awards, five Harvey Awards, and six Schuster Awards. In 2010, Essex County was named as one of the five essential Canadian novels of the decades. He currently lives and works in Toronto with his wife and son. That brings us to the other half in the Descender project, Dustin Nguyen, who was born in 1976 and is a comic book artist who has worked on such titles as Jet with Dan Abnett, Wildcats version 3.0 with Joe Casey, Batman with Judd Winnick, Manifest Eternity with Scott Lobdell, and the latest revamp of The Authority, The Authority Revolution with Ed Brubaker. He was also the artist on a six-issue arc of Superman and Batman entitled Torment, written by Alan Burnett. Starting with issue number 840, Nguyen became the regular ongoing artist on one of DC's flagship titles, Detective Comics, with writer Paul Dini. Their run lasted until issue number 852, after which the pair launched Batman Streets of Gotham, which lasted 21 issues and was canceled in March of 2011. In 2012, Nguyen collaborated with writer Scott Snyder on the miniseries American Vampire, Lord of Nightmares, which made the New York Times bestseller list in 2013. He subsequently launched Batman Lil Gotham with co-writer Derek Fridolfs, an all-ages series that was positively reviewed by Brian Truitt of USA Today. In rendering that series, Nguyen drew inspiration from the cartoons of the 1980s and 90s that he viewed in his childhood, explaining that in watching them, you get this goofy view of the world. In 2015, Jeff Lemire launched his creator-owned image comics series, Descender, with Nguyen as artist, for which Nguyen won the 2016 and 2019 Eisner Award for Best Painter slash Multimedia Artist, awards both most well-deserved as his artwork in Descender is amazing. Here's a quick interview clip of Jeff Lemire and Dustin Nguyen discussing Descender at a comic book conference with the guys over at the French vlog, Sci Fantasy. Early in my career, uh, I started writing, uh, my fir the first book I started writing that I really found my style and my voice was uh, a graphic novel called Essex County. And uh, one of the characters in that book was sort of based on myself as a child. And I found, for whatever reason, I found writing his voice, his dialogue, very natural, very easy. So I, I just really enjoyed it. So uh, I've always enjoyed writing children. But also I think uh, when I started Sweet Tooth, um, around the same time, my wife and I had our own, a child for the first time, a son. So uh, my own experiences with, you know, watching a child grow up and him interacting with the world, and I think that has probably inspired me to write so many children characters. I, I love science fiction, uh, so I really wanted to do a big science fiction story. And I felt like building a real... Uh, a really vast mythology about robots would be real, a really interesting subject matter, uh, especially, in, I mean, the way our modern society is going, technology is becoming more and more important to all of us every day, and the way we interact with technology is changing so fast that it felt, uh, it felt interesting to take that and then um, imagine it, you know, in the future where that could lead and, uh, and to build a story around that. Um, and also, I just like the idea of the main character, this young boy robot, uh, being a machine, but in many ways he's more human than most of the humans in the story. <laughs> we, uh, you know, we worked out what kind of universe we want, and you know, Jeff wrote down kind of like we have like a Bible of a uh, description of each uh, each world and how it works. Uh, just briefly, what they have, you know, what the environment might be like, what the you know, the the way the social class is, and you know, so that's all um, there. Uh, you know, I mean, Jeff has it broken down. Uh, Design-wise, it's, you know, I, sometimes I wish I had more time because, you know, if you work, if you're in animation, you have, like, an entire team to go out and do research for the civilization, what kind of clothes they wear, what kind of food they eat, you know, like that. Um, I try to do as much as I can, but, you know, when you're working on a month and you got to design this whole planet in, like, you know, one night. Yeah. So you just kind of cram and do, as, do the best you can, you know. Um, I do leave things a little vague. Like, I don't try to... I leave it so that I can make changes later and it not affect it. You know, instead of nailing it down, just do what you can. And that way, if you have to change something, it won't 
there is kind of um, a Spielberg vibe in uh, in right right and your use of children and innocence to to tell a story is it someone you take as a reference or is this uh, deliberate not really yes I've never been a huge Spielberg fan I, I I always find his stuff he uses sort of his I don't want to insult Spielberg but it's his is more of a pastiche it's like a, a romanticized version of childhood where I think mine's a little more realistic uh, but yeah so Spielberg's not a huge influence on Descender but Kubrick was definitely a huge influence on Dustin and I both uh, we looked at a lot of Kubrick movies and the way he composes shots and the way he paces a story much slower and more deliberate I think we that would be a bigger influence There's a page in the first issue where he's wandering around, uh, the one where he wanders and he sees all the dead bodies. Um, the whole thing, that, that page alone was set very Kubrick. Um, if you look at it, all the angle points on every panel points to the middle. And then at the third panel, he's in the middle. Um, Design-wise, I just grew up on a lot of like, um, you know, 80s and 90s robot movies. Um, I'm big on Otomo, he's here. Um, there's a scene where uh, Tim is walking around and he's wearing the pajamas. Yeah. That's very like uh, when Tetsuo walks around the hospital, kind of. I grew up on heavy metal comics, so a lot of um, very uh, European influences. I wasn't old enough to know who drew what, but you know, you, it's, the art stays with you, the influence stays with you, yeah. So I was wondering if you already had, um, immediately had the concept of the robots in mind because uh, I'm, I'm completely in love with this uh, bandit and uh, and uh, driller and uh, I was wondering how did you, did they come to life yeah I, those three I had right away yeah. it was always just those three I just like the mix of that character type where you have the, the young child the innocent his pet and then the big kind of protective robot it, it's just a good chemistry a good balance so Yeah, those three robots we had right away. And then as we started getting into the story more, we're developing new ideas and new characters. So, yeah, but it started with those three. I find that uh, Bandit is probably cuter than BB-8. Oh, really? <laughs> so I was wondering how how you you made that, because uh, yeah, it's kind Jeff, of a... Jeff wanted kind of like a robot dog that didn't look like a, ro like a dog. Um, originally, I think when we first designed him, I designed him, he kind of hovered. He kind of, he flew, he flies. Mm -hmm. His legs fold up and stuff. But, um, you know, we we worked on a few designs and Jeff wanted him to have more like animal features. So when he's at, he, so, you know, flying is kind of like a shortcut. It's like, a cheat. it's like a cheat. You can get around anything if you're always flying. Yeah. Um, having, ro you know, Bennett actually run around. It was a little more, uh, a little more organic. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, and all the... Uh, emojis and uh, and stuff on a yeah. on his face. Uh. Originally, we were going to have the emojis on Driller. All right. Driller was supposed to have a black face, and then actually, on the black face, you would have a screen, and it would be a face of a real person. Oh, okay. Like whoever designed him would put the thing in there. But then we're like, well, let's make it real simple, and have uh, Driller with actual mean expression. So you know, when he's doing the fight scenes and everything, yeah. he can actually look more aggressive. <laughs> yeah. So um, so we moved the. The faceplate over to Bandit, and then it was, it was a lot more fun now. You know yeah. what I mean? And he doesn't have to say a lot. He just kind of does. Yeah, yeah. And um, you spoke about science fiction uh, just before, so I was wondering if uh, you have other genre on in science fiction that interest you? Not really. I feel like right now Descenders really. Uh, It's kind of fulfilling my need to do science fiction. I love doing sci-fi, but I also like doing other kinds of stories. So uh, I think as long as Descender's going, I probably won't do any more science fiction. It's sort of, yeah, it's enough. <laughs> Image comics in general, it's been a great thing for the American market because it's offered a home for us to do uh, very personal stories uh, and not have to just do superhero comics anymore, but... Uh, You do a wide range of genres, and there's really comics now. It's it's allowing uh, a, a more diverse American audience, more and more different kinds of people reading comics in America than than used that used to just be superheroes. You know, it was very inclusive, whereas now it's much broader and uh, welcoming to different tastes. There's a diff there's a comic for it. no matter what kind of literature you like or what kind of stories you like, you can find a comic now that suits it. I enjoy things, drawing things that's um, kind of otherworldly, like um, not grounded in earth or not too realistic. So just kind of fun and whimsical, yeah. Okay. All right, folks, let's shift gears into interview mode with today's guest, Gene DeWeber. 
We met up to record for his podcast, Obsessive Comic Disorder, which you can follow on Instagram at Obsessive Comic Disorder, all one word. Then I got to picking Gene's brain about this awesome series, as well as some of his favorite comics. Check it out. Hi, Gene. Hey. We just finished doing your podcast, Obsessive Comic Disorder. It was fun. Glad you enjoyed it. Glad you had a good time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We're here talking about Descender, uh, which, which you recommended. And yes. I thank you for it because it was a really awesome read. Uh, super great story by Jeff Lemire. And then the illustration by Dustin Wynn was yeah. freaking amazing. I'm going to look into more comics because of it. Yeah, I'm glad. Not only because of Jeff's writing style, but Dustin's penciling and coloring. Like the watercoloring in this was like bonkers. I, I was super into it. It's so pretty. You can see all the shading and everything else, which is just gorgeous. Just the entire thing is, and I like this, uh, there's a slight penciling, but it never gets in the way of just, like, gorgeous coloration. Yeah, and there is, there's some overlapping and, like, not blotchiness, but, like, there's a color overlap and just the way that he's able to use toning in watercolor is actually relatively difficult. Because they're not easy to work with. No, they're not. Um, So for him to achieve what you would otherwise have gotten with another medium is impressive in Mm -hmm. and of itself. Before we get too much further, Gene, what's your Instagram? My Instagram is nearly functional comedy. And we also have obsessive comic disorder. Obsessive comic disorder, as well as if you want to check out my webcomic, it's nearly functional comics. Nice. As I said earlier on your podcast, Mm -hmm. Gene's a fantastic drawer, and I think that your love for art and love for comics and subsequently comedy, not to say that they're one and the same, but oftentimes, I mean, there are very funny comics. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Deadpool comes to mind. Spider-Man can be super funny as well. Mm -hmm. There's a comic called Chew that's really good that's very funny as well. I see that you have, like, six books of it right here. <laughs> yeah, it's a complete series. Yeah, nice. Okay. What's, what's that about? Uh, it is about a detective who has the this ability where he gets a psychic connection to anything he eats. It takes place in this world where there was this avian flu, and so chicken has actually been illegalized. And, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> chicken, turkey, all that kind of stuff. And uh. so, like... There is these like speakeasies, yeah, poultry at all, yeah. Uh, and there's these speakeasies where people go and actually like illegally order like KFC kind of food. Amazing. It's it's um there's a little <laughs> bit of cannibalism in there, but it's, so it's very dark. But you know the artwork does a great job of offsetting that with this very whimsical look to it. Yeah, it's well, it's dark, really darkness funny. can be funny. Oh, absolutely. You know, we, and we, much like your sense of humor, I it, would say. And much like what we were talking about uh, earlier about Dead Man, I mean, that's a a dark comic, but it is intrinsically, I would say, very funny. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, He's he's very sardonic, and yeah, he's he's not quite Deadpool level, but he's definitely, yeah. A little bit more morose than that. Yeah. Uh, Or like he means it. (laughs) (laughs) How did you get your start in stand-up comedy? Uh, yeah, so I took a comedy class at Helium, did that, graduated, did the whole thing, and I realized I really like doing this. It's something that I have, I've always liked making people laugh. I actually thought I was going to be like a pastor for a little while, because I was raised super religious, okay. so I've always kind of liked the idea of being on stage and doing something, but... Engaging comedy, an audience. Engaging an audience, exactly. Yeah. But comedy was always the most attractive thing, and I was always the person, like would always feel a little butthurt when someone was, like, saying someone else was funny or something like that. And I was like, well, aren't I funny, you know? Doing that class and then going into open mics and just going and continuing to do it and getting better is just one of the most fulfilling things I've discovered. Like crafting material. Crafting material, yeah. Yeah, and playing with ways to deliver it to various audiences. Yeah. I mean, the mic scene out here is great for that. Oh, it's absolutely. We're, We're about to go to Underbar. Mm-hmm. Um, here in a bit that's in Vancouver Washington that's a fantastic mic uh, dude that, that place is almost always packed it's freaking great yeah and the fact that it is not just comics there because a lot of open yeah. mics you think of 
is just a bunch of comedians sort of harumphing each other's material. Over 60% comics at the majority of of mics. But, you know, I mean, you're there to work material out on stage, and if you can make other comedians laugh, that's a gift. It is. It is. What was your first exposure to science fiction? Definitely Star Trek. Okay. Next Generation. Nice. Yeah, TNG is one of my all-time yeah. favorites. My my mom was always a big Star Trek fan, so we watched it a lot as a as a kid. Nice. That's definitely the first one I can remember, for yeah. sure. How old are you? I am uh, 33. 33. Okay, yeah, I'm 32, so... Yeah. I, I didn't watch it in syndication. Yeah. Uh, but I, I've seen it on VHS, and then, of course, you know, with streaming services, I've watched all of it. And, you know, Voyager, DS9. Yeah. Uh, DS9 is my favorite, honestly. Yeah? Yeah. I really like the story arcs in DS9 the most, I would say, as well. Uh, and there's great crossover from TNG. I mean, it leads basically right into it. Yeah. Um, have you watched any of the Picard? I, I think I watched the pilot. I haven't really watched too much of it. I, I want to get around to it, but so much out there there is a lot out there yeah for sure there's 32 issues of descender yes that can seem a little daunting but really there's only sometimes there's only 10 pages of visual yeah 25 30 top end it's a pretty easy read and i was doing it digitally i'm more of a tangible guy i mean i, I same yeah i can see that <laughs> um yeah and for good reason i mean I, there's it, there are multiple aspects to comic books that you know, you have to consider there, and the textile is something that has been improved on and expanded on in recent years. Absolutely. You know, you can see even in the different pieces of the cover, mm-hmm. there are different uh, finishes. Yes. Going throughout it, that when you put your, I mean, there you feel. Yes. The, the difference in it. I've I've always been drawn to books for that reason. Mm-hmm. I like buying hardcover copies of things. Same, same. And when I go to Powell's, I purposefully, unless I'm like, if I know I'm traveling with it, I'll get a paperback. Makes sense. Or if I'm reading it by my bedside, but if I want a book to like own this particular story that I'm going to read over and over again, I want it to be hardcover. Because you got that longevity. My V for Vendetta is hardcover, but my Watchmen is soft cover. Mm-hmm. So I have to be a little gentle with it. I've got, I've got, I used to have the uh, paperback of V for Vendetta, but I upgraded, and my Watchmen is definitely hardcover. It's yeah, nice, nice, nice. Yeah. <laughs> my grandfather had an encyclopedia that was hardcover that he had mm. commissioned for him. Oh, that's cool. Like his name was embossed on it, and it was like a 1960 law centric but also a general purpose yeah and it took up easily the space that you have here Mm -hmm. of comic books and my grandmother was like do you want this do you want to take it with you to portland and i'm like ah (laughs) why don't we i'm gonna get it eventually why don't you know why don't we leave it where it is for now (laughs) so it's i mean you know like there's a lot of information out there yeah and it's hard it's hard to like bring it back down to earth insofar as like what do I want to read because I have science factuals booked out for like two and a half months yeah I, and I, and I that's talk what to people I like all the time and we're like yeah dude like stoked I'm like so how does the middle of August sound like, <laughs> good uh, yeah I guess I'll talk to you in two months there's definitely no shortage of things but, yeah. but when there are good things like Descender, it's mm-hmm. cool to see that they continue the story into another perspective with something like Ascender. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm stoked to see uh, Lemire and, and Wynn collaborate again. Yeah. It's and have they done them. anything else besides Descender together? Uh no, I don't think they have. I think this is the only collaboration that I know of. I feel like they might have recently done something with Batman and Robin, but I'm not... Don't don't quote me on that. Okay. So, <laughs> so, how, so let me ask you this. How did you come across this? I've been a Lemire fan for years. Okay. My first... Your, yeah, your first exposure to him. I think Sweet Tooth was the first thing I saw by okay. him, which uh, you can... I'm unfamiliar. Uh, they have, it's actually... They have a Netflix series based off of it right now, which is really good. Okay. The, co- the show is done for more of a broader audience where the comics are a lot more adult. But it's this uh, post-apocalyptic comic that takes place it's in a rural... The animal crossover? Yeah, the animal. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's... Crossbreeding or what have you. 
Yeah. So there was that. There was uh, there was a couple other Lemire books that I read over the years. I think one of them was called um, The Nobody, which was sure. a modern day reinterpretation or retelling of The Invisible Man, which is really good that he did. Yeah. Um, he's great movie too. Oh, there's probably different. The Kevin Bacon vehicle. Oh yeah. <laughs> Fantastic movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not not the same, but no, yeah, not no. the same. No, this one's more like in a like in a small town setting. Because okay. Lemire, what I think is very fascinating is this is very bombastic for him because he. But even in this, he does such great character work because that's really what he's about. He's always done um, everything he does. He has a series called Black Hammer, which is great. It's it's his own version of like the DC slash Marvel universe. Okay. It's his own like his own thing, but like. The Prime comic is literally about the main characters who are basically like Justice League kind of characters that are stuck in a farm in a small town. Huh. It's do, and do they know? Do they know of their powers or are they? Like, yeah, they they remember. Them or? They remember. The thing is, is where they're at. The powers aren't working. Okay. For some of the characters, there's there's definitely like something going on. I don't want I don't want to spoil it. But no, it's no, of course not. Great, no. But. You asked me this on your podcast. What were what were my top five? comic book series are to which I said Star Trek Star Wars V for Vendetta Dragon Ball Z and uh, I can't remember what the other one was let's just say Jurassic Park no. <laughs> uh, yeah oh so, you said Wolverine Wolverine yeah okay yeah. Wolverine as, as a story arc yeah absolutely I reverse the question to you Uno style reverse reverse uh, <laughs> what are your top five comics Okay. My number one is definitely Day Tripper. It's this uh, really good standalone graphic novel about a guy going through different really important parts of his life. Okay. And each time something tragic happens. It's really well done. It's a really good... Like, so, like, real life? Yeah. Yes. Uh, there's a little twist to it, but I don't want to reveal the twist. But it's no. it's great. It starts from him. He actually writes obituaries in the newspaper, and so there's a lot of connection to that, and it's just beautiful and it's just life and it's just yeah it's 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 fantastic um another one of mine is blankets okay it's another standalone graphic novel by uh craig thompson okay not Uh, michael jackson's kid no no (laughs) no by the way uh the previous one was by gabriel uh bond fabio moon i should probably specify that please yeah Yeah. uh but yeah so this unleash that nerd knowledge you have locked up in their gene oh absolutely so blankets blankets though is a series by uh, it's a standalone graphic novel, autobiographical, actually, okay. from, from Craig Thompson, and it is about a guy. It's about him. He was uh, raised super religious, very much like me, actually. He's a, he uh, it goes through him being in Michigan growing up. When I first read it, I would have said his love, but it was like a very early young love. Like he meets this girl and sort of infatuation, impact, infatuation yeah. exactly, and her impact on his life and sort of him going from this to who he is now and you like real relatable yeah, content. I, yeah. oh yeah uh so the next one is uh asterios pulp okay. by david mazzicelli which he was the artist on batman year one with frank miller he was also the artist of uh he's done a bunch of stuff but another really famous one was uh daredevil born again which is uh, i have daredevil in there i've read i've read a few issues yeah. of of various stories yeah i mean that's i and i love the netflix adaptation as well yeah it's, it's actually quite good so he did. So he, yeah, I did too. I really enjoy that. But he was the he was the artist for those. So cool. for this one, this is also very slice of life. It actually starts off with, it's very really existential because it starts off with this teacher and his apartment is burning down, and he's starting to remember his life in the past and all these mistakes he's made. Once again, a lot of like this specific, um, his ex wife at this point. So kind of like light flashing before his eyes kind of thing. Yeah. In, but, in the face of danger. And the thing that I love about this is that it's it's so different from anything else I've ever seen because he has different fonts for every character and different okay. word bubble styles. And oh, nice. there's also two different, and he does uh, like dual chromatic or maybe monochromatic uh, coloration. Okay. And different, depending on what kind of the color is, is depending on what period of his life it is. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, I love how the text and visual aspects of comics yeah. lend to and oftentimes accentuate 
the feel or emotion that's being conveyed or explored. So uh, what's your number four? Uh, number four is a series called Mind Management or Mind MGMT okay. by... Mind? Mind, yeah. Mind. Okay, yeah, M-I-N-D. M-I-N-D, yeah. Okay. I thought you said Mind Management <laughs> no, at first, no, no. and I was like... No. Stuck in a box. So Mind Management by Matt Kent, which actually Matt Kent is a really good friend of Lemire's. Okay. So they've worked together on quite a bit of projects. Sweet... Um, they had, I think he did a little bit of art for a flashback story in Sweet Tooth, actually. Okay. Um, but, and both, both of them like to use watercolors as well with their own arts. So Mind Management is this comic, it, basic premises is, what if the X-Men were discovered by the government? <laughs> but the idea is, is there, it's like the CIA and there, there's this faction called Mind Management and the first graphic novel could be used as like a standalone but then he got the right he got the ability to tell this full story he wanted to do which is really okay. cool nice um, but it's this this woman who keeps on she's a reporter and she's investigating this one guy who's connected to something that, in her own past and she's going all across the world basically to find this guy and find out about him. It goes into this whole interwoven thing where she's actually a bigger part of it than she realized. And there's all these different kind of characters. One of my favorite powers of a character is he he's so convincing with his psychic abilities that he can point his finger, his like two fingers at someone's head and say bang and they'll die. Mm. Well, there's there's so, like all these really cool abilities. You know, it, it's interesting how there's always the normal person turned superhero story kind of yeah. peeks in, and I think that's part of the appeal of comic books as well. Is that you know, like life is kind of just mundane. Yeah. So wouldn't it be rad if X Y Z happened? Absolutely, and that gives a, it adds a level of uh, relatability because it's this yeah. idea of like you're taking it's like fish out of water. You're taking someone who is norm used to the norm. And being explored, but exposed to the extravagant. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other reason why I love mind management, first of all, is one of those ideas where it's like, when I first started reading it, I wasn't a huge fan of my art. But this this guy had um, Matt Kent has a very simplistic yet very detailed style. Okay. And so seeing his art, I was like, oh, I could do a I could do a comic if I really put my efforts into it. Um, the other thing that was amazing is he really uses the format to his full extent, basically, because he will do interweaving storylines, but it won't be quite like Descender, where you have the different stuff like that. It has those, there's a true crime, there's excerpts of a true crime novel on the left side of the page. On the bottom of the page, there's a set of, of these like very quick um, vignettes of these government agents talking and then you have the main story going on in the main pages. Yeah. And it actually eventually ties together. There's even like these little like secret messages that start popping up huh. on the sides. They made all the pages look like they were um like dossier. Dossier. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Nice. So that's yeah, they, fantastic. I, I like that aspect of the Watchmen series as well. And sometimes mm. you know there are oftentimes like stories within stories. Like the pirate story yeah. in Watchmen. Uh, so, so what's your number five? Uh, number five is I'm gonna go have to go with Powers okay. by Brian Michael Bendis and Michael Avenomi. That is a series about a ex superhero who is a member of the homicide a homicide division in the Chicago Police Department called Powers. So yeah. they focus specifically on superhero related powers, okay. uh, homicides basically. And so it's the first thing the first arc is, is called who killed the retro girl i believe is what it was called yeah, i may be wrong with the title but anyway it's a this this uh very famous superhero gets murdered in the middle of the street and there's a sign that's uh i can't remember what the sign says now it's been so long since i read it what it's, i really it's, it's a mystery involving superheroes yeah and as it goes along you find more about christian walker is the main character he was a, a superhero called lightning and then his partner is dina it's. I loved it because it was this very like more grounded, where you have these police officers trying to investigate these like bigger than life uh, murders, and it's funny at certain points. Uh, one of the things that Brian Michael Bendis is well known for is he likes to riff within his dialogue. 
So there's these really long-winded dialogue things, but they're really entertaining about what what they're going on. Kind of like a stream of consciousness kind of thing? Yeah. Well, like one part very early on um, in the first story arc, there's a girl whose mother gets murdered by a superpowered person, and she actually becomes a bigger part in the series as it goes on, but she asks in the middle, like they're talking, and all of a sudden you just have her in the back scene. She asks, what's a clitoris? And you have Dina. Dina is just laughing, and uh, Christian is just like face palm, yeah. basically. But it's it's these little like human moments that are just great. And I, I I became a fan of Bendis because of it. And it's funny because I don't actually like a lot of Bendis stuff. <laughs> well, that, that, that brings me to my like, next question, which is like, who is your favorite writer, and then who is your favorite illustrator? Okay, uh, so. As far as favorite writer in comics, funny enough, it probably is Alan Moore, even though I didn't say any of his works as my favorites. I'm going to resend that. Neil Gaiman. Yeah, he's great. Neil Gaiman is amazing. Yeah. Uh, the series Sandman. Sandman, yeah. That's my wife a, loves that, too. That's and an honorable good, mention. Good Omens is also great. Good Omens is great. I, I yeah. One of the first adult novels I read was uh, American Gods. Yeah, I absolutely yeah. loved it. And yeah. uh, he's a fantastic writer. He's prolific too. He's he's done quite a bit. And it's crazy because he started out as a journalist. He I, was just, just, I like, didn't realize that. Yeah, he was just a journalist. And I think he was actually writing about comics, and then they invited him to to do comics. <laughs> to, to write comics. To write comics. <laughs> nice. And it's I love his stuff. The Sandman was one of the you know things that really introduced the idea that comics could be more than just capes and you know these basic storylines that could be actual literature yeah it goes beyond just tropes yeah yeah and, and what about favorite illustrator uh i i would actually say so i wouldn't say he's an illustrator although he does he's actually a painter okay um alex ross okay what has he done uh, he's I, actually I, yeah. done. You can see over there. Absolute Kingdom Come. Kingdom Come, yeah. So he he has a very Norman Rockwell feel to him. Oh, cool. But if it was so, basically if Norman Rockwell had done comic books, <laughs> this is what they would look like. Sick. And it's gorgeous. The it's very lifelike. It's haunting. Yeah. You know, it's got that very you know nineteen fifties Americana feel. Being to able it. to capture haunting imagery yeah. has, has always fascinated me. Yeah, because there's there's a feel beyond what is just being shown. Exactly. So it, it, the way that the pen, both in the written word and in the drawn format, mm-hmm. it's so diverse. And the comic book is a marriage of those two sides. Absolutely. And that's what I love about comics. I, I know that, that there's a feeling of, almost call it pride, like when you finish a series, you know? Yeah. Where you're like, you know, that, that was fulfilling. You know, it, it, whenever you you finish a certain thing, you know that that's a that's a series. It's a bitter sweet, absolutely feeling. You know, because you're like, man, I I've just completed this thing that I've dedicated a portion of my life to, basically satisfied that I've completed it, but sad that there isn't any more. That's why I'm glad that there is more to this series. Absolutely, with yeah. the sender, I'm just the fact that they. Do you know when it's supposed to come out? Well, the series has been out for a while, so there are multiple. Or, or I, I guess more, more what I mean is, do you know when it's supposed to be complete? That I don't know. I have a feeling it's probably going to be right around the same. Uh, it's probably going to be around thirty-two issues. Okay. Is my assumption. Well, where are they at now? I think. Well, they're about to release um, the first deluxe hardcover of the series, which will be the first fifteen. But okay. I believe they have five volumes out of five issues, so they're probably pretty close to ending. Oh, cool. Okay. But, yeah. But so I don't they've know got about sure. five to seven left. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if they do it on a monthly basis release? Uh, I think so. It's either monthly or bi-monthly. Since it's... So, so you know, around this time or late next year, we, we can expect to have the entirety released in a two-volume set, hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Because it's, it's, it's an independent project. Yeah. So it's, it's up to the author and artist as to whether they well, want to continue and, and also or not. support image comics yeah yeah support every comic writer illustrator absolutely fan, podcast year <laughs> podcast year I like that <laughs> um, it's an expression man art, art is always an expression and 
I salute and support anyone who uses this medium to tell the story and, and does it well. And you know, Jeff Lemire and Dustin when definitely tell it well in Descender. Uh, Gene, thank you again for recommending it. Absolutely. Where can we see you out and about towns? Or we'll see you at Underbar tonight. Yeah, I mean, right now I don't have anything upcoming, okay. but. Um... Just, yeah, if you're just hitting them mics, just hitting them mics, just uh, nice. doing as much as you can. You know, uh, honestly, laughspdx.com is a great resource to see where people are trying out their stuff. Absolutely, as well as where the showcases are out here. If you're uh, uh, in Salem, pretty frequently I will go to those mics out there. There's yeah. the Alley Cat Bar shout and the Infinity Room. room. Yep, shout yeah. out to Chris over at Infinity Room, Emma. Absolutely, yeah. No, yeah. Salem's such a great town for comedy. It absolutely is, and it's, it's sort of starting to become like my second home, honestly, which is... Nice. I dig that. Good. Yeah. And when we go, we get to go to In-N-Out. That's true. Mm, animal it's... style. <laughs> Very nice. Oh, like. well, it's all good. It is. Well, cool. We'll get, let's go hit this mic. All right. Sounds good, man. All right. Gene's collection is fucking awesome. I'm super jealous of the quality of the books that he has and how extensive his collection is, which I'm sure is set to keep growing. Now, since this is a crossover episode with Gene's podcast, this is just part of the full discussion that we had covering Descender. You can catch the full interview I did with Gene for episode 42 of Obsessive Comic Disorder on Spotify. I highly encourage you to follow OCD on Spotify to keep up to date with all of the awesome comics Gene reviews, as well as interesting interviews with some awesome people. <sighs> this week's water cooler fact comes directly from guest Gene DeWeber. I wanted to tap into his knowledge base as it is as vast as it is nerdy. Gene writes, Since this is a comic, both the artist and writer are important to the creative process that makes Descender's storytelling so captivating. Let's start off with the writer. Jeff Lemire is a Canadian comic book writer, artist, and television producer. Lemire grew up in the rural area of Essex County, Ontario, Canada. Having worked in the medium since 2003, his claim to fame is a series of interconnected graphic novels known as the Essex County Trilogy, which ran from 2007 to 2008. Each part takes place within the aforementioned rural area of Essex County. Quite possibly, Lemire's most well-known work is a series called Sweet Tooth, a post-apocalyptic science fiction series involving an extinction-level plague event which is believed to be caused by animal-human hybrids. The title itself pertains to the nickname of protagonist Gus given to him by a grizzled old man-type companion with a mysterious past known as Jepard, who takes him under his wing. Their mission is to discover the true origins of this emerging species of human hybrid. It was published at the time under creator-owned imprint known as Vertigo, which is part of DC Comics. If you recognize the name Sweet Tooth, it could be because you've seen the Netflix series adaptation which was released in 2021. Lemire is known for his excellent dialogue, character-driven storytelling, and distinctive art style with a penchant for subdued watercolors. Following the success of Sweet Tooth, he has worked on several critically acclaimed series for nearly every major comic book publisher. Descender itself is something special, as it was his first independent comic where he wasn't also the prime artist, having only previously used other guest artists for a few issues of Sweet Tooth. His weapon of choice is Dustin Nguyen, a Vietnamese-American artist whose most notable works for DC Comics include features in numerous Batman comics as well as several series in the now-defunct Wildstorm universe such as Wildcats and The Authority. Nguyen is an amazing artist with a diverse skill set that comes through in various forms throughout his vast catalog. Before Descender, Lemire almost exclusively used the combination of pencils and highly textured watercolors for comic book cover art, largely with Sweet Tooth. That changed when he and Nguyen started working together more and more. What first comes to mind stylistically for the interior pages is from a series done by Nguyen entitled Batman Lil Gotham. If you're interested in further collaborations between the artists, you can check out their sequel series to Descender entitled Ascender, which has issues out and is in the process of being collected into volume sets. They also collaborated recently on a miniseries for DC titled Batman and Robin. For even further reading from Lemire, I'd recommend Black Hammer from Dark Horse Comics, 
the underwater welder, a practically self-published quote-unquote lost episode of the Twilight Zone, as well as the aforementioned Sweet Tooth and Essex County trilogy. Enjoy! My thanks to Gene for those insights and for having me on Obsessive Comic Disorder. I can't wait to get into some more content from both Lemire and Nguyen. I think I'll give The Underwater Welder a read because The Twilight Zone is one of my favorite shows, including the Jordan Peele reboot. We're definitely going to be covering that series later in the year. In the meantime, I'd like to acknowledge today's sources, which include DCComics.com, Wikipedia.com, ImageComics.com, Fandom.com, and Gene's Brain. I'd also like to encourage you to check out my buddy Sims Guy Comics on Whatnot. My good buddy and his better half, Mr. and Mrs. Sims, run shows all the time featuring some of the hottest comics and graphic novels on the market. I did a show with them when I was visiting in Florida, and it was a super fun time. Follow them on Instagram at sims underscore guy underscore comics and on whatnot at simsguy. He gave me an awesome Star Trek comic the last time I went to visit, and I can vouch for the size and quality of his... collection. Next week's episode is going to be awesome for two reasons. One, we're going to cover Akira, both the manga and anime adaptation from 1988. And two, we're going to have the very powerful Cam Strong as a guest. We're sitting down to discuss the iconic cyberpunk series and film before Cam's weekly comedy open mic at Patty's in downtown Portland, Oregon. That mic is on Sundays with signups at 8. The venue and atmosphere are both superb. You can catch that episode Tuesday, June 21st from 8 to 9 a.m. only on Shady Pines Radio. Hey, did you know that you can listen to amazing content 24 hours a day, 8 days a week on Shady Pines Radio? It's true. Just so you know I'm not fibbing, here's the lineup for the rest of Tuesday. You're listening to ShadyPinesRadio.com. Here's the lineup for Tuesdays. Starting at 8 a.m., Science Factual with Reese Hendrick. Emotional Weather Report with Jamie Stewart at 10 a.m. At 11 a.m., Beat Salad with Mason O'Brien. At noon, The Blue Hour with Blue Adams. At 2 p.m., The Prog Hour with Reagan Lindy. Your Own Private PDX with DJ Squiffy at 3 p.m. At 4 p.m., Cosmic Taco Beat Shack with Big Papa Warrior. No Dancing Please with L. Ron Hubbard at 5 p.m. At 6 p.m., Anything New with Shorty L. Toasty Tunes with Alex Toast at 7 p.m. At 8 p.m., Radio Seance with your psychic friends. At 9 p.m., Fresh Unoriginal with DJ Wineglass. And at 10 p.m., Turntable Talk with Chili and Bass. No matter the day or time, you've picked the right time to listen in. Thanks for listening, and tell others. Shady Pines Radio. Wow, what great content. And that's just on Tuesdays. I wonder what it would be like to, oh, I don't know, visit Shady Pines Radio, but like in real life? Well, now you can. Make all your acid dreams a reality and come out to the Shady Pines Festival. It's going to be so much heckin' fun. Check this out. Yo, you wanted it, we wanted it, and now it's happening. The Shady Pines Music Festival. Bigger than Wayne Stock, bigger than Coachella, bigger than all of it. Dang, dude. Join us for three days of music, food, drinks, love, dancing, and everything else a music festival can be. Out there in nature while we come together to celebrate everything we've done. Everything you've done to help this station grow and grow. you got to come. Friday through Sunday, July 15th through 17th at Red Mud Ranch in Oregon City. Who's going to be there? I'll tell you right now. We got Rose Lit Bone, Family Mystic, Flying Caravan, Strange and the Familiars, Yes Ma'am, Johnny Franco, Bitches in the Beehive, Chunk, Family Worship Center, Left on 10th, Super Secret Band, Curtis Copenhagen Band, The Wood, Dead Ren, Blue Flags and Black Grass, Wood Butcher, Dumpster Joe and the Boys, Zane Thomas, End Time, Fort Hamilton, Rosalinda and Frank, Tay and the Jangleda, Sadie Grada, Poor Boy, Jordan's Son, DJ Fish, Jackie B, Andrew Bass, Love and Bass, and B, Papa Warrior. Okay, so how much? I'm glad you asked, baby boy. 200 bucks sound good? Yeah. How about 150? Yeah. 100? Yeah. Nah, nah, nah. Let's do this. 85 bucks for the whole three days. But get on it now, because tickets won't be around forever. For all the information, check out ShadyPinesFestival.com. Then buy your tickets and let's party!
Heck yeah, dude, let's party. I cannot wait for the Shady Pines Festival. I will be seeing y'all at the merch booth slash beer ticket booth, and I am very much looking forward to seeing all of your smiling faces during a fantabulous Pacific Northwest summer. Oh, and before we get out of here, check out this very funny set from Gene. I believe it's from the underbar mic that we went to, so go ahead, get your chuckle on. Sorry. Oh, Jesus Christ. All right, everybody. How's everyone doing? How's everyone doing? Doing good? Doing good? Awesome. Awesome. We know each other now. Gene, you're a crowd. Um, I got a question for you. It's very important. I need to know. It's for my self-esteem. Uh, do I make this shirt look fat? No? How about now? I'm trying to lose weight, though. I am. I'm trying to lose weight. I'm on a. I'm currently on a diet. Uh, I just eat whatever gives me diarrhea. So. Yeah, which is everything I eat, because everything I eat is Taco Bell. That's all I eat. I just eat Taco Bell. It's the food that just keeps making poop. It's great. I. Uh, I'm thinking about going back to the gym. I'm thinking about heading again. I'm trying to go. I'm thinking about it, but I really don't want to. I don't want to go back to the gym. I want to find any other way, because, like, I, I just got, like, super lazy last time I was at the gym, which was, like, two years ago. I just I just kept on wearing this to the gym, just regular clothes looking exactly like this. I just wear this every day. This is my, this is my regular attire. Um, I would go to the gym and, you know, I'm just, like, trying to be comfortable because, you know, I'm just, I've, I've never felt so comfortable making other people feel uncomfortable. <laughs> Like I'm just I'm just trying to like work out and I'm like trying to do bridge presses and I'm like fuck don't rip 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 Hey what's going oh it ripped Fuck you know what I'm still comfortable more comfortable than you are I'm doing better This is how I like to work out at the gym Yeah This is what I gotta do now Nah, tomorrow I'm coming in in a fucking, like, onesie. I don't know. We're just going to try it out. What were the, what were, do you, does anyone remember what those, like, those those blankets were that you put on, you know? You know what I'm talking about? Snuggie, that's what I'm going to wear next time. Next time I go to the gym, I'm just wearing a Snuggie. Just make everybody uncomfortable. Really let the, uh, the whole crotch area, you know, just breathe. It's gonna be great. I um I don't know. I last my favorite workout at the gym is the elliptical. You know, I like I like using the elliptical because it's like using assisted stilts. You know, it's like using assisted stilts. Like I'm just uh, and I'm just like thinking in my head. I was like, either I'm prepared for like a really dark future where everybody's a circus performer. <laughs> Or I'm working out, but either way, I'm just gonna check out for a little while. Um, just watch everybody else. Just see how comfortable I am. I, uh, I, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I try that. I try putting in for like an hour on the elliptical, and then talk myself to down the 20 minutes, and then after seven minutes, in a very horrible panic attack, I, uh, I leave the elliptical. Um, yeah, like I, I'll go to the gym and I'll be all looking around people, whatever, and I try, I try doing like a bunch of exercises, and then I get off and I realize after seeing someone look at me very strangely that I have been doing the wrong, the exercise wrong for 30 reps, you know. <laughs> Just someone is staring at me, they're like, are you okay? <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a bench press, you shouldn't lift that with your back. <laughs> That's a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I, uh, I don't know. I just like I. Part of it is like I'm just like watching everybody else, you know. And I, there's all these gym rats, and they're lifting like I don't know, 30 pounds or 300 pounds, and I'm I'm barely lifting like 10, you know. Like I'm just like really sad there. Um, and so like I'll just walk, run, you know. I'll just run back over to the. Uh, to the to the to the bike because you can't fuck that up. You can't fuck up the bike. You just sit down there, you know. 
Um, and after five, like three minutes, I have another existential crisis, you know? <laughs> I gotta be honest, like, cause what'll happen is I'll just like think to myself, like I'll try to, I'll try to listen to music cause I can't, I can't pay attention. And then I stop because I'm just trying to work out to the beat. <laughs> and I feel, I realize that not only, that if, I felt at two things, I not only failed at trying to work out, but I failed to disprove the fat, the uh, stereotype that white people have no rhythm. <laughs> So I'm going to just gain another 50 pounds. Thank you for your time. I've been dreaming about everybody. Have a good night. <laughs>